0: Hey, I'm Brett Jamie and welcome to the Baseball Coaching Journey where we will explore how we as coaches, teachers, and educators can do a better job of developing our athletes, our programs, and ourselves. I'm joined with my brother Tony today. Tony has coached with me for a number of years. And as a former uh, collegiate catcher, a select coach, and a father of an incoming uh, college freshman uh, athlete, his experience is invaluable. So today we're going to discuss a very practical strategy for infusing competition into your bullpens. And people are always looking for ways to make their practices more competitive, but how do you really do that in a way that is going to, uh, to really flow with your practices and also in a way that's going to to help uh, be constructive with, with what we're doing out there as coaches. So the, uh, the topic that we're going to, to break down today is going to be pitching battles. And uh, pitching battles is something that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we kind of invented the name. The idea is out there. Uh, and essentially, what we're talking about is a way to make bullpens more competitive and game-like. And uh, we came up with this idea a few years ago, about five years ago, and, uh, and we're going to explain kind of the process here of, of how they work, and then we'll break down a little bit of, uh, of, of why we do that and some of the benefits that we've seen and also some of the, the data behind it all too. So first of all, the process is that you have two pitchers. These two pitchers go head-to-head to see who can get more hits of their spots during their bullpen. And that's during a predetermined bullpen routine, which the, uh, the coach scripts out. And I've probably scripted anywhere from, I think I'm around uh, – eight to 12 different type of bullpen routines that we use uh, depending on where we're at in in the throwing program for the year and how many pitches we're trying to, to, uh, to throw and all, all those sorts of things. So anyways, the two pitchers rotate with each other throwing 12 to 15 uh, uh, pitch groupings and those groupings simulate innings. Too many coaches have their pitchers throw, you know, like 50 straight pitches, which doesn't really simulate a real game and it wears pitchers out Makes it difficult to to throw uh, with the same mental focus or the same physical intensity. It's one of those things that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to have a pitcher go out there and throw, you know, fifty or sixty straight pitches. And uh, and so what we're trying to do is simulate innings so that they can throw with that intent of throwing hard, also using kind of their their uh, their mental focus as as well um, on each pitch a little bit more effectively. So we still typically. Uh, block their pitches, meaning that, a, that a, a block is where you're throwing the same pitch, uh, multiple pitches in a row. So with the 12-pitch grouping, for instance, they might throw two sets of their curveball, which is set we define as three of that pitch followed by a fastball. So if you throw two sets of a curveball followed by one set of your changeup, that's nine off-speed pitches and three fastballs. So that's 12 pitches right there. So that would be one grouping, and then the other, uh, the other pitcher would then uh, step in and, and take a couple warm-ups and then start his his grouping there. That, and we're charting all this as well. So there is evidence that blocking helps support uh, learning by encoding success while studying, um, you know, whether you're studying like multiplication tables or physical activity. So it's not just like we're facing batters, though we, we will vary the routines and, and go that route too. But uh, typically we, we have those groupings. So uh, uh, also... During the bullpen, um, we also script which, pitch, which pitches will be from the stretch, which ones will be from the windup. We also script some of those things that we oftentimes as, as coaches overlook, which are things like uh, how many looks they're going to work on to different bases. So we'll, we'll have that in a particular grouping where it'll say one look or two looks or something like that. Uh, we have them vary their counts, meaning how long they come set before delivering to the plate. And we also have them work on their times to the plate which um, I, I'll i discuss at a different time. But typically for a high school pitcher, we're looking for guys uh, sub one, four to the plate. And that's something that we want them to do on all their pitches, not just slide steps. So if you don't script, script these various uh, these various things, then they tend to go to the wayside and, and you know, you realize, oh, wow, we didn't work on uh, making our bullpens very game-like during the winter because we never worked on looks, your times or anything like that. So maybe you got a guy practicing every pitch during his offseason at 1-8 to the plate, which is, is terrible. So that's kind of how a battle works. But the next stage then is how we apply it. And we use pitching battles, to uh, which is really the unique part. There's a lot of people that, that kind of have their pitchers throw against each other or whatever. They simulate innings. They do some of that sort of stuff. But what makes a pitching battle unique is is the way that we apply uh, the data. So we, we actually use pitching battles to directly rank our staff that means determine our, star- our starters, our middlemen, and our closers. So this might sound kind of uh, radical, but let me explain the rationale there behind that. So first of all, as, as coaches, we always, and you know, educators and all that, we preach empowering our students and our athletes and allowing them to earn playing time. But do we really support that concept of empowerment? What do we really do to uh, empower our, our athletes? You know, And pitching battles are a way to allow the athletes to directly determine their playing time. So we rank the athletes and post their rankings on a weekly basis. And uh, we'll update those and, and come out with those, which the kids like to see and all that sort of stuff. But the rankings are determined by several uh, different criteria. So the first one is their hit percentage. And that's simply how often the pitcher hits his spots. And we, we use the word hit because it's different than throwing a strike. And oftentimes you might be throwing a bullpen and the catcher sets up, you know, low and away the pitcher throws a pitch up and in and they're like, Oh, that's a strike. Well, that's not a good pitch. So that, that wouldn't be a hit. It might be a strike, but it's not a hit other target. And conversely, a pitcher might hang a curveball belt high. It's not a hit because, um, whereas if he misses low and away, it might be a ball, but it, that is a hit. So we'll give him that one. So it's important to kind of designate the difference for our athletes of, of what we're really looking for, and also it puts a little bit more on the process rather than simply on balls, strikes, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, second criteria, then, in addition to hit percentage, is their win-loss record. So that means when they're going up against another uh, another, uh, you know, uh, teammate. So did they beat that guy in terms of of most hits? And I'll I'll have my brother kind of talk to to that a little bit here in a second and you know, what that kind of means to the athletes and, and stuff like that. But winning's important and it's part of being a competitor, right? So we want, we don't just want our pitchers to become drones or, or just, you know, r- robotic out there, but we want them to actually be athletes and, and be competitors. And a great pitcher is able to beat somebody, even if they're off. So it's not all about just the hit percentage. Yeah. The hit percentage is big. It's like your ERA. It's like your whip. That's important. But another important aspect is just your win-loss record. Win-loss record isn't everything, neither is your ERA. They're, you know, both stats matter, and, and that's kind of the, the idea here. Uh, there might be days where you're not throwing well, but you see an opportunity to to beat somebody, and you just got to find a way to, to kind of clutch up and, and, you know, take that guy on and and stuff like that. And uh, my brother's uh, son, uh, Caleb, was, was one of our top pitchers for the last couple of years, and he's been... Um, an All-State player and, and things like that going on to throw in college, and um, I'd I like, like UT to kind of talk about, you know, what that looks like in terms of competition in these and, and kind of what you've seen from the kids over the years.
1: Well, one of the cool things is we actually have data. So we, we've been doing this for five years now. We've seen these, uh, you know, young men start as young boys at uh, 14 years old, and so we've actually been able to to compare and contrast a lot of the same players as well and so you know i I mentioned before that we we had one of our smallest guys on the team and i didn't know anything about this player other than just the visual and he didn't throw the hardest um, He was definitely the smallest but he had the highest strike percentage and he always won battles and he was funny because you know we could come down to the last 10 pitches and if he needed 10 he got 10 if he needed 9 he got 9 if he needed 8 he got 8 and it really was almost comical for a couple of years because he was just so clutch mm-hmm. and and he and that's one of the great parts of of this system is is you're really competitive and you know we would have half the team there watching you're cheering for him, you're cheering against him because, you know, you want to be the ace and you want him to lose. And, and that was kind of fun to see.
0: Well, and, uh, and kind of on that, uh, and I'll, I'll correct Tony. He said the word strike, Remember it's oh yeah, hits. Right, but, right. uh, <laughs> but one thing with, with this guy is it's also improving his confidence because then when he gets in a similar situation, constantly, well, not constantly, cause the guy had good command, but we, we would see him get Three zero in games and we're thinking I, I'm pretty sure he's going to come back because we've seen him in battles when he needs to hit three pitches in a row get three hits in a row when he needs to go eight of nine get go eight of nine you know so he starts to develop that confidence and that mindset that's like no I, I can do this I do do this like this is what I do and he starts to take on that identity so it carries over into the games because once you've done this for a whole off season and a guy's proven it then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of you know, in those games, he's thinking, no, I'm going to come back on this guy. And we're thinking the same thing. So it also, it's another way to also infuse their confidence, you know, by, by um, encoding that success.
1: Well, and one of the other issues was, so my son, uh, he was one of those later bloomers and, you know, small on the smaller side as he's younger and to see him improve each and every year um, was an exciting thing and, and when I asked him about the pitching battles his favorite part was the first thing he said is I like to win and, and I, I think that's really important because if, if I were to categorize Caleb in any way I'd say you know what he's, he's a fierce competitor that at the end of the day he wants to win and the pitching battles I really think gave him that opportunity to to lock horns with you know guys that were better than him and you know for a couple of years they would beat him, and he hated losing uh, those battles. And then, when you're finally able to beat those guys, uh, you know, hey, I've accomplished something, and you know that in the fall. And so, when you come out into the spring, you, you just come in with an amazing amount of confidence because you've already, you know, moved up the ranking, so to speak, um, and beaten somebody head on head that you know maybe for two years was uh, doing better than you. So I, I really like that. In practice, uh, and one of the other things that we talked about was, typically a, a bullpen is, is, and I hate this term, but is, is a boring thing. And as a catcher, I caught thousands of bullpens, and you could see the expression on your pitcher's face, he could care less about what he's doing. And he just was mm-hmm. going through the motions, and there really was no reason for him, you know, to step up and, and throw well in a bullpen. And maybe after 40 pitches, he was tired, and. Whereas the pitching battles, the intensity uh, not only works for the, the pitchers, but the catchers as well. And so yeah. so now you've got, you know, and, and when we really think about a, a good bullpen, I mean, it takes a catcher doing his job well. Um, and, and you mentioned before, we're trying to train them to go for the spot, to go for the hit. And so our pitchers, again, we don't have to yell at them in the middle of a game on an 0 2 pound, you know, 0 2 pitch, not to hang a curveball they've already thrown thousands of low and away curveballs if they miss it's in the dirt our catchers know low and away curveball be ready to block the ball in the dirt and so we've really seen great success on both ends
0: yeah yeah so that's a that's kind of the second point which is uh the, so we've covered their hit percentage and then the second one win loss record so the third kind of criteria here that we use to determine those rankings is their stuff where they're you know, part of that's sort their of velocity. So velocity and stuff obviously matters, but this system teaches that, Again, it's not everything. It's it's a criteria. There and there's some sub- subjectivity to the rankings. Some of it is is pretty uh, pretty objective, but there is subjectivity uh, even when you're calling, you know, a hit, a miss, things like that. But still showing the athlete that they can earn their way higher in the rankings. And a high school pitcher who, you know, going back to this stuff, or velocity is a criteria. A kid who's pumping like 92 with a hit percentage of, let's say, 58%, will rank that kid higher than a pitcher throwing 74 who's hitting, you know, 64%. So, you know, we're not stupid here. Um, stuff, velocity, that matters. So we also uh, will get them on the gun regularly during uh, the bullpens and, and, you know, chart what they're throwing their different pitches at and things like that to make sure that the uh, the – differentials are are where we want them and things like that and and start gauging what their stuff's like. And then the fourth criteria, and this is one that emerges once we're in season. So we do this both in and out of season. Once we're in season though, then we have the fourth criteria of in-game success. So once we start playing games, uh, the bullpen still matter. You can still earn more playing time by throwing great bullpens and by what you did during the off season. Uh, but then the fourth determinant enters the equation, and that's their in-game success, which we primarily measure by whip uh, because that's, a, I feel, a more accurate gauge of of how well you're throwing because it's combining your hit ability and also your uh, command, uh, you know, together. And whip usually carries over into, uh, into ERA and, and how many runs you're giving up. So those four areas uh, we... Uh, with those four things, we can come up with a pretty strong and consistent and self-empowering em- uh, ranking system for our athletes. And players want to know why they aren't throwing more, you know. And this allows us to very specifically show them that and allow them ways to earn more play time. I remember a few years ago, I was coaching uh, a 14U team, and we had a pitcher that was ranked 12th out of 12, and he was throwing at a hit percentage during the uh, the fall and winter. At 40%, and he was 0 and 12 during his off-season battles. So a few weeks into the season, he asked me why he wasn't throwing, and uh, I simply pointed him to the battles because you know the the stats were there. And I said, hey, let me show you your stats again from the battles. I told him that if you want more mound time, I would still let him continue to throw his bullpens, but he was going to have to raise that hit percentage to over 50%. And it was an easy conversation. He understood. It wasn't like, you know, he, he can't say like favorites or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, hey, this is where you're at. This is where you need to be, you know. And if if you're not at this point, I know that you're not going to be ready to have success out there. And you're going to, uh, we're not going to put you in a position where you're going to fail. So show us that you can do it in practice where you gain that confidence. And then, uh, and we gain the confidence in you and then we'll we'll, you know, be more than happy to, to give you those opportunities and games. So it's another way to make practice really the show. Pete Carroll talks a lot about how practice should be the show. You know, it's an event in and of itself. It's not just something else that you do. And it's another way to, to put on the athlete of, Hey, put up or shut up, you know, like put up in practice or, or deal with it. So, uh, that's, that's kind of a, an overall, um, intro to the, the pitching battles, I, I highly recommend it uh to different coaches and teams. But we're we're gonna get into some other kind of nuances of it because there's still some other things that that I want to uh to process here and, and break down. So a few um kind of asterisks to the system that people ask about, you know, so a few common questions uh with this would be the first one, what about when pitchers need to work on a few pitches outside of the battles or, you know, does throwing in a competitive environment maybe slow down their growth process, to where they're just uh, reverting to what's comfortable? So, of course, pitchers can throw pitches what we call off the books, where we're not charting it. And uh, if they want to try something new, if the pitching coach wants them to try something new, uh, if we want them to focus on a particular mechanic rather than hitting spots or beating somebody, then yes, like that's that's definitely fine. And sometimes there's going to be a need to throw a flat ground or a bullpen where, hey, you get one-on-one with the pitching coach. We're just going to isolate stuff, break things down, uh, and you know there's room for that. But we want to be careful that we don't do that too much. And those decisions are up to the pitching coach and the staff, but I will say that I do want the majority of the pitches being charted for a lot of reasons. But one is that it's an indicator to me, the coach, who most likely – um, because I most likely won't watch all their bullpens because I'm working with hitters and things like that during practice. So it's an indicator to me of how the pitcher is doing and it allows me to, to stay up on things and have a, my, uh, hand on the pulse of, of, um, you know, what's going on too. So, uh, so that's, that's another reason why I want most of those pitches on the books, but yes, you know, it, coaches can't be a slave to anything that, that they're doing. Uh, another question, does every pin need to be a battle? along the same lines? No, of course not. Sometimes pitchers, again, need to iron out details. The majority of the pins should be battles and should be charted again. Thirdly, uh, another question, how does the data support pitching battles? So this is one thing that's pretty cool that we found over the years. After doing pitching battles for for over five years, we found a remarkable link between hit percentage in pins and strike percentage in games. The average in-game strike percentage is about two percent higher for our pitchers than their uh, than their pitching battle hit percentage, and that's probably due to pitchers or to umpires with large zones, because I think umpires probably give more pitches than than uh, the catchers. Sometimes we have the catchers call them, and uh, sometimes we have the coach. So I think umpires are probably worse than our catchers and our coaches. Uh, not to like bash on, but that's it's just the truth. And then uh, secondly, uh, you also get pitchers or hitters expanding the zone. So they're swinging at more pitches, uh, you know, in the dirt, up at their eyes. I mean, you see crazy stuff. So uh, I think that accounts for that 2% uh, on average that you see a little spike in game. So a brief breakdown, though, to give you an idea of how kind of data helps us make our decisions on things. If a pitcher is throwing under 50% hits in their bullpens, the pitcher is relatively unthrowable in games. If you're, you know, in the 40s, you're pretty much unthrowable. It's going to be just they're going to have some some extreme issues throwing strikes. If you're between 50 to 54 percent in battles, the pitcher is going to have some real wild bouts, and they're going to be averaging about one walk burning, We found if you're between 55 to 58 percent, the pitcher's command's pretty decent. They're going to walk about. Uh, Two guys every three innings. Once you start getting into the 59 to 63% hit percentage, that shows that you've got pretty good command, and you're going to be under that, you know, um, half a walk per inning uh, per inning ratio. That that's a pretty good goal to have. And once you get over 63%, we found that that's uh, that's a pitcher with a very good command. You're going to be walking under one third um, of a batter per inning. So in a 70 inning game, you're going to be around two walks. Uh, which is great. It's outstanding. So, um, And, of course, those are just guides, and there's a lot of details that go into walks and things like that. For instance, uh, thumbers don't need to throw as high of a percentage because people usually put the ball in play. A thumber might fall behind 2-0 and then throw one strike that gets put in play. That's different than a guy who's throwing gas out there. you know. Um, so there, there's different factors, but that's just a real quick guide of how some of these, uh, these stats kind of support things. A couple of other um, things I'll add. When uh, when we're charting guys with their bullpens, we we only chart their last ten uh, their ten battles or ten bullpens, and that's because you know by the time it's and and we'll start changing the, those uh, numbers um, the deeper that we go into the season, so that's more of an indicator of where they're at currently, because obviously like a kid in July is a different pitcher than he was in September, right? So the kind of the charting system there is dynamic as well. It's not just static where, you know, cause some people feel like, oh, so if I'm at 40% after two months, I'm done. Like, no, you're not at all. You just need to keep grinding, keep showing in your bullpens that, hey, I'm throwing better, I'm throwing better because it's only going to, like I said, typically we use their their most recent 10 bullpens. Uh, so those early bullpens are going, to, you know, end up getting kind of um, bypassed there. So as far as like your hit percentage and things like that, so that's another thing that's kind of cool that we've uh, that we've seen over the years to to um, keep keep guys engaged and, and that sort of thing. So uh, finally, though, pitching battles they're a great way because great way to to do bullpens because they help provide competition, intensity, um, and and provide that during like my brother said, kind of a, a part of practice that can can kind of uh, become a little bit mundane. And as coaches, we we try, and I know that this is something, Um, you know, my brother was really good at, we try to get pumped, we try to get excited about the bullpen, or about the battles and, and get pressure, and you actually see guys, like, start gathering around once there's a, a tight battle going on, or like a, you know, it's like on um, ESPN, you know, during like October or November, watching college football, they have like the little clicker that says upset alert, and sometimes, like, you'll have your your ace going up against like your number eight or nine. And it's like an upset alert. You know, the the score is like 28, 29, late. Um, and then guys are like, oh, whoa, there's, you know, so-and-so is about to knock off the, the big dog. So uh, that's kind of a cool thing, too, um, to provide some of that intensity. But normally you'll find that the ace is the ace for a reason. And he'll come back, and, and he'll be able to, to lock it in when he needs to. And the other guys, you know, they can't. Uh, so that's another... Kind of a um, example of how this this kind of works itself out, but um, another thing that that um, I'll have my brother talk about in a second is is kind of how we have like different sheets, but specifically for um, for closers and how we do um, you know kind of like on some guys they have like a light bullpen day, so we'll have them throw fewer pitches and uh, kind of simulate like they're they're closing a game. So that's a little bit of a nuance. We also do um, do uh, jump battles. Jump battles are pretty sweet because a jump battle is a battle where you got two pitchers who are ranked back to back. So, you know, for example, you're five and six guys and their stats all might be really close. And a jump battle is very clearly like where before they throw their their bullpen, we say, hey, this is a jump battle where the winner jumps the other dude. So you can go from six to five and, and, you know, vice versa. So that's, it's pretty cool. It provides pressure on the athlete. So they have to clutch up. But again, it's empowering them. You're putting in their court that, hey, you throw a great bullpen you're going to stay at five or you throw a great bullpen, you're going to jump this dude, you know? Um, and if you, you don't, well then, you know, then you're going to stay where you are and that's just kind of kind of what you deserve it at this point. So um, that, that's kind of a cool thing too. Um, and generally we also in our fall season uh, doing a bracket tournament, which is, is a lot of fun. Usually it takes about one to two weeks to get through that and we'll, uh, we'll rank everybody like, you know, the one, plays the eight in the first game, You're, you know, if you have, like, ten pitchers, you got, like, pigtails, pigtail games and all those sorts of things. So that's pretty cool. But, um, uh, T, why don't you uh, hit on the, the closers real quick?
1: Well, one of the things that I liked was a lot of times we ended up, especially at, at the younger ages where you have two-way players. Um, so, you know, we typically had three catchers, all three of our catchers pitched. And what ended up happening a lot of times was maybe you ended up you know, where it looked like you might face the same pitcher a couple times in a row. And, and you were talking about maybe you to work on certain pitches, uh, maybe you had a sore arm, arm fatigue. And so what we are able to do was to, to keep that intensity and keep that competition by doing the closer sheet. And so, you know, my son in particular, he also caught. And so sometimes, you know, okay, uh, there's nobody to battle anymore. And so you can still have a, an intense uh, bullpen by going through the closer sheet, and you know in that it, it's essentially like the way it sounds, where we would go uh, pitch counts, and so you had to you know you had to come in in a certain situation and, and get the guys out, uh, otherwise you blew the save, and so those were another way for us to just n- not only maintain that that competition but the pressure. Uh, the pressure is a great thing and, and we really were able to watch a lot of uh, young men grow and, and again every time we saw somebody do better and we did see players do better from year to year um, we We're talking uh, before the show about one of our players who really I mean he, he jumped about three different people uh, in the fall and it was almost like and he was challenging our top pitchers and barely losing and it's like wow i mean is this can, can he keep this up and the answer to that was yes he he actually turned into one of the top closers on one of the best teams in the state um, a, another young man that uh, you know you had mentioned uh, velocity and velocity you know being a, an x factor and you know while he struggled throughout the fall with you know just having a good strike percentage you know with fastballs and curveballs but he's a competitor and, you know, he gets in the game and, and, and in a battle and he, he, he competes. And so if he were just throwing bullpens, he would remember the three nasty pitches that he threw, think he did a good job, and, and not develop and not grow. And so whether it's the, the pitching battle or jump battles or the closer sheets, um, it's just a, a great way to create an, an exciting, dynamic uh, you know, bullpen experience. And, and really, some of my f- fondest memories were, you know, our, our batting cage, you know, side by side with the pitching uh, battles. And, and to literally see our hitters stop what they were doing, the pitcher, the hitters, and everybody stopped to see, you know, the, those final eight pitches. And, and like you mentioned, you know, there was a lot of cheering and rooting. And keep in mind, there could be a guy hitting and the guy pitching um, that could be a, a shift in the rankings if he loses. So he's rooting against the guy. And, you know, we definitely had ragging and uh, catcalls, and, I mean, just like you would in a game. And so, you know, not everything goes, but um, p- pretty intense uh, from, from all sides.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those are, those are pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember one one kid few years ago, he's like, oh, man, I hate pitching battles, and I was like, well, why do you hate pitching battles, and he goes, because I, I get so nervous, I said, well, you've realized that's kind of the point, you know, the point is to, to make you nervous, because, and I told him, I said, you're somebody who could be a good pitcher, but you do get nervous, and that's kind of your, your downfall, I said, so embrace those bullpens, like, don't don't hate them, like, like that, because know that that's giving you, like, free practice at your weakness, which is, you know, getting getting nervous out there on the mound, and mound is a, is a place where nerves definitely play a role. You're out there kind of on an island, you know. So, um, But, uh, uh, T, you mentioned something about the uh, catchers, and that's just kind of a, another detail. A couple of, of um, details with the catchers. We like to focus on their receiving so they can actually help get certain pitches called for the pitchers. So that – and sometimes we don't really do that, like, intentionally, where we say, okay, if this is a great reception, like it's going to be a strike or whatever. But um, well, there there's certain pitches where I'll call it a miss and say, ah, oh, it was hard to tell. Like, that was a pretty poor job of receiving that pitch, and I couldn't tell. And, uh, and what we found, you know, the catchers don't get upset about that. They're trying to get better with their craft, so they, they want to know about that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, other times they'll be like, hey, that was a great reception. I'm, I'm not sure if that was a miss, but it was a great reception. You made it look like a pretty good pitch, so we're, we're given that. And, uh, you'll find that that also helps pitcher catcher relationship to build. And the pitchers start to root for their catchers as well. And they start to notice like when their catcher does something well, that it's, it's a, it, there is a, uh, team component there. That's not just me, me and what I'm doing. And I do this and I hit this spot. It's like, no, you know, we work together to try and get these, these, uh, pitches, um, called and, and get batters out and things like that. So catchers also need to work on their blocking and, uh, and that's something that I'll, that I'll keep uh stats on as well and, and post those and then every three pitches they're supposed to work on their throwing footwork and then the last thing i'll say on that is don't forget to also mention mix in uh, pitch outs it's one of those things that we forget to ever work on but uh but you gotta work on pitch outs more than just once a year you know during like an on-field practice where everybody throws two pitch outs so mix those in as well um with the catching stuff, though, one of my regrets from this year's summer season is that I didn't, and mostly just because of my own um, time, I didn't post and keep a ro- running total of the catchers' blocking stats. And what, and I did this last year. I've done it almost every year, where I'll post because we, especially during the summer, we've got you know two guys at least who are rotating in a catcher a lot, and I'll post their blocking stats, meaning how many balls they block, how many they miss. That's something that I keep track of on a little pad of paper during the games and then I keep a running total and I put like their block percentage. And what I, and I also keep a running total of how many they've had in a row. So uh, a couple years ago we, we did that and we had two guys who remarkably finished exactly the same percentage of balls blocked, which is 89%. And they both finished the year off with the 28 block, uh, um, you know, streak where they, they hadn't allowed a ball, could buy them in 28 straight uh, blocks. And both of those guys were always refrained like because I posted up on a board in the dugout and they'd you know see their their block percentage and, and they were always going for like these you know it's like a Joe Dimaggio streak going for these um, streaks. I didn't do that this year and I found that our catchers struggled a lot more blocking the ball. and it was one of my regrets and I, I can't help but wonder if I would have kept doing that this season like I've done the last few, would that have happened? And it, and I count blocks, um, if nobody's on base and you get the block, I count that too. So that's, I don't count them as misses. It's almost like a bonus. It's like extra. If you block it with nobody on base, you get it. If you, if you don't block it, it doesn't count against you or for you. Um, cause you know, there's some philosophical differences on, on blocking without guys on base too. So, uh, but it's just another way to like keep them engaged in the game as, as catchers and, and kind of, uh, measure that. So, um, anyhow, I hope that, uh, that this is, has kind of sparked your thinking with, with maybe some ideas you have with uh, infusing competition into your, into your practices and, and games and things like that. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, if, if you guys uh, try some stuff and it's working out well, send me a note. You can find uh, my information on my website. You can go to the contact you know, contact now and, and send me ideas I'd love trying to get better with with what we're doing in practices and and uh <clears throat> things like that too so please uh let me know about ideas there as well and and um this uh I'll open it up to my brother just to to kind of close us out here
1: well one of the things we we discovered too is we are in the northwest and in the fall It's real cold, Um, and we had uh, our our hitting facility, our pitching facility kind of had an open end so you could feel you know, the the 35, 45 degrees. It was cold when when our our pitching battles took place. And you know what, our kids developed a toughness. Um, You know, the fingers were cold, and I never heard any of our players complain at all about the elements. And ironically, I, I believe it was 18 out of 20 league games we played in had rain. And we never had our pitchers complaining about the mounds being wet, the ball being wet, it being cold. Mm-hmm. And I really think a, a lot of that had to do with the, the pitching battle scene. Because you know what? Nobody cared if your fingers were cold. You had to go out and win the battle. And, and I grew up in Southern California where it was a little different, where you know maybe it was extremely hot. And, and you know you don't get to complain as a pitcher that it's too hot and so some of my you know my favorite pitchers that I've seen pitch one happens to be my son the other one my brother they both liked when the elements were actually worse and, and that was because they felt it was it was an advantage uh, going against somebody else on the other end and if they weren't mentally tough to face the elements then they weren't going to be ready. And we won some games um, I think just because you know that first inning when you get out there and it's raining or it's hailing or you're at Safeco Field or whatever and you know what it's time to do the battle and it doesn't matter if it's really really cold or if it's really really hot or if there's a lot of pressure uh, you're ready to go from pitch one and, and you know in those clutch games a lot of times that first inning that one run, that, that might be the difference. And so, um, you know, I, I I really am a wholesale, you know, buyer in the pitching battles. And, uh, it's, and even more than that, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun to mm-hmm. go to practice.
0: Yeah. So uh, let me know about what you guys are doing in your practices, what's working. If you uh, have any questions, let me know. So thanks uh, for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed it.